So tonight, my topic is something that's very exciting to me, very dear to my heart, uh, spiritual gifts. Um, fanning into flames your spiritual gifts. Um, I can still really clearly remember being some of your ages, um, some of the younger ones, and going to small group and having talks about spiritual gifts and having my arms crossed and sitting in the back and clinging quite tightly to my cup of tea and saying, I don't really know about those. They seem a bit suspect. I don't know if I believe in all of these these things. Um, <laughs> and then I've, I've had a long period of growth and um, I now think that they're just the coolest things that we can possibly have access to and they're really exciting. Um, and so I'm hoping to um, just cast a little bit of light on some of the things that might come across as being um, challenging or difficult about spiritual gifts and just encourage you all um, in your own walk, walk with, um, with the Lord um, in using some of these parts of your um, your ministry that you might not know about yet. Um, so I'll start with 2 Timothy 1, 1 to 5. So Paul's talking to his protege, Timothy, um, who he's raising up and encouraging. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So the letter opens absolutely beautifully. I love their relationship. I love the encouragement that Timothy receives from Paul. The first thing that we can kind of notice about this passage or I'd like to draw your attention to is that Paul is saying that he is to be commended for his sincerity and his faith. Now, Paul knows that Tim, Timothy believes what he is preaching, that he believes in, in the gospel and it matters to him deeply and that that's coming from a de very deep place in himself and that is something that it sounds like it's from a real heritage of faith. Sincerity is not enough though. That's what's one of the things that I'm going to sort of argue for tonight is that Paul is calling Timothy to a higher level of, um, of his faith. He's asking Paul, uh, Timothy to retain his sincerity, but to up the impact. So it says in 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, fanning into flames was a really common term back then, as it is now. Um, we're to take it to mean, from that translation, just upping the intensity, to, to bring things up, to dial it up. Uh, it was an encouragement to, to endeavour to do everything he could possible to make that flame fan. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit and say, well, what are the spiritual gifts? I would say that spiritual gifts are divine enablements, spiritual entrustments, God-given special talents so that you can be good at something that the church needs. In addition to your natural talents, whether or not you can sing or dance or administer well or be organized or be smart, there are actually gifts that God can give you that are not things that you could naturally pour out from yourself. They are extra. Uh, they are divine. And they help to move the purposes of God ahead in your life in a way far beyond what we could imagine just from doing our own thing and serving God. It's actually God working through us. Now, 
we've got a little bit of a story that we tell about this thing that happens in school in our family. Uh, it happens to everybody, but because everybody's different, it happens at a different time for every person. Some people, it happens nearly straight away. And some people, it happens in the cramming time of maybe year 11 or 12. But whenever it happens, it is awful. <laughs> and what happens is that up until this moment, you don't really have to pay very much attention in class. You don't have to worry too much about trying to retain all of the things that you're, they're telling you because you already know it. It's fine. I know that. I read about that at home. We talk about that at home. I've seen that on the telly. And there are some people that are particularly good at kind of adding a bit of massaging, hammy language to things to make it sound like they know lots as well. So those massages can often get quite a long way through school before all of a sudden they realise they don't know what anyone's talking about. <laughs> and that awful moment is when the smarts run out. <laughs> and when the smarts run out, there are two different responses that you can choose. You can choose to actually start looking around you hurriedly for somebody who looks like they've got a strategy that's working, and you say, teach me. What are you doing to make the things go into the head and then come out in exams? And, <laughs> and then you do those things and you learn and you realise that you just can't just throw any old thing at the paper and make something wonderful come out. You actually have to work really hard for it. And so some people, a lot of people learn how to do that, but there are other people, and they're often the more gifted ones, when the smarts run out, they go, oh, I think I'm dying. <laughs> There's something wrong with me. I don't know, I'm just going to go over here and I'm just going to keep falling behind and complaining about how somehow everyone's just talking about rubbish these days and I used to be very good at school and it's not my fault I'm not anymore. <laughs> so the reason why I'm talking about the moment when the smarts run out and if you have not experienced that moment, it is coming. <laughs> just want to warn you. <laughs> we learn that we need to prepare more and that we need more resources and that we can't do it just out of our own little personal well. We actually need to get that well filled, otherwise it runs out and we get to this point where we can't move further than where we are. Now, when, when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, I want you to think about our ministry, and the way I talk about, about ministry is that's your service to God. That's when, we, when we're serving him, when we're offering our lives to him. It's the things that we do, and that can be anything. That can be the, the conversations that you have at school or work. It can be an active um, church ministry that you're actually involved in getting together an organization that makes something happen. And I would say that our ministry goes home with us. It comes everywhere with us. It's all about active work for God. Now, our ministry is a little bit like that schoolwork. When we can use our own gifts and we use the own, our own talents that we were actually born with and are just innately in us, we can actually serve fairly effectively to a point with our own gifts. And there are some people that have fewer gifts that actually find at some point that they want to or that God calls them to do something that they think, I can't do that. I need you, God. I realize that I'm not enough. I need your help. And God is gracious 
and he equips and he supplies and he helps. Now, Mike Pilavachi, who is a, a pastor I really enjoy listening to, um, he's from Soul Survivor in Watford, which is in the UK. He has this funny thing that he talks about. He describes the perfect uh, leader. You know, they can sing, they can speak, they can make people fall over onto the ground in shame for their sins, and, you know, er they can just get everything going. They can do everything. And he says he doesn't, he, he feels so sorry for those people. Because those are the people that never need God, and they might not even realize that they are actually missing out because they're doing it all out of their own strength. So he says, you know, the people who have the most in some ways are the ones that have the least because they can do it all by themselves, and it requires a lot more giving up purposefully to actually experience what the Holy Spirit actually wants to do in them. Whereas it's the people who are weak, who are little, who are dumb, who don't know what they're doing. It's us that actually go, God, I don't know what I'm doing, and if you want me to do that, I really want to do that, but I'm going to need your help. Um, and I, I say dumb. None of us are dumb. It's fine. But <laughs> sometimes not having very much means that we actually depend on the Holy Spirit more. So I actually just want you to think about your own life at the moment. And you may be in that point where you've come to the end of yourself and you're saying, God, I'm going to need you to fill the gap because it's a big one. And that's wonderful. That's actually a beautiful place to be in. And I want you to cherish the place that you're in and to take note of what's going to happen because it's exciting because God doesn't let us fall down. It may seem like he is, but he has a beautiful plan and he works through us. And when we see the Holy Spirit work, we see wonderful things. Now, there might be some of you who actually feel like you're good for it. You know, there's not actually many places in your life where you feel particularly challenged. You may have to work hard, but you see where you're going, you know what's going to happen, you know how it all works, and you feel pretty good. I would like to challenge you that maybe you might want to actually ask the Holy Spirit whether there might be something that you can step out into where you don't feel so secure. Because it's when you're in those places where you feel a little bit lost that you start to listen to a different voice in your head that's not yours. Okay, so really, using your spirits, uh, spiritual gifts requires trust. It requires listening, which is what I'm talking about. When you listen and you hear the Holy Spirit telling you to exercise a new gift, a new talent, a new way of being, and when you see what God does through that, a few things happen. One, you kind of know that it's not you. That wasn't you. So you have that experience of realizing how and learning how the Holy Spirit works in a different way. You get to see it in action. And when you see it in action, it builds the church because the Holy Spirit loves to build his church and it builds your faith. You actually get to see what he's done and it helps you to ask him to do it again. It helps you to know how he works and what happens and what can happen. And stepping out in faith becomes something that is not as scary as it is an opportunity for something wonderful to happen. It's like planting a seed and getting to watch it grow and not quite knowing what the plant is, but knowing it's going to be good. It also becomes part of your ongoing testimony. Now, Winnie Heron, who has been a member of this church and is coming back again, and I'm very excited, um, she talks about how our testimony, our stories, actually, if we don't tell them, they die. 
So telling about what God has done actually fans into flame this idea that God's working, that he's done these things in the past, that it's happened and that he can do it again. It's very exciting. In fact, our testimony comes from the Greek word martus. The word martus means to bear witness. Now, the word martyr comes from that word martus. That's kind of amazing because we think about martyrs and we think, oh, that's scary. That's laying down our lives for our faith and, and being hurt and fed to lions and I don't like it. But in fact, that shows how exciting, how serious, how huge, what an amazing story our testimony is. I just want to encourage you, continue to build it with your spiritual gifts. Using our spiritual gifts opens our ministry up to God's abundance. God's abundance, we don't even know how big it is. And every time that we step out in faith with our gifts, we get to see a little part of it, a little part of it and we understand more greatly what he has to offer, what he wants to offer, and what happens when we actually step aside and start working in a different way. Spiritual gifts, these divine entrustments, these amazing talents, these incredible skills that come from the Holy Spirit and that they get planted in us to come forward when we trust him, that sounds pretty amazing. But it can be really difficult to sort of think, well, that doesn't sound like something I can do. That seems like, seems like something that a really, really spiritual person might one day get to do, but I don't feel like that's something that I can do. I am just just sort of muddling along, just having a go, trying to do my best. Maybe I don't receive the spiritual gifts. I don't know. I don't think that's really for me. So the next thing is, who receives the spiritual gifts? We all do. When we receive Christ, we receive spiritual gifts. We may receive one. We may receive a lot of them. They may come for a certain time. They may change. They're varied and they're diverse. The one thing that they all have in common is the same spirit, the spirit of God. In all of us, in women, in men, in kids, everyone who is part of the family of God receives spiritual gifts. Now, when we look into Corinthians, when, um, sorry, where is it? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says all these are the work of the one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I'm jumping forwards a little bit, but I just wanted to explain that in the church at Corinth, they were exercising the spiritual gifts, but they didn't know really much about them. Their theology was really terrible. They were coming from this place where they believed in multiple gods and that, you know, Athena was the goddess of wisdom and that there were all these different people who were the gods of certain things and they didn't think that those gods could be everywhere. And so they were seeing what the spiritual gifts were doing and they were sort of assigning the wrong source to them. They were thinking that they came from all different parts. And Paul really made sure to tell them that it was important to know that they all come from God. They're all the Holy Spirit. So God has a plan for all of us. And <laughs> sorry, I'm getting lost. <gasps> okay. Cool. Anyway. Oh, here I am. <laughs> so we all receive them. And they're all from the Holy Spirit. And they may look different, but they're actually all from him and they can be in each one of us. Now, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is gentle. We might have heard about experiences 
that other people have had with the Holy Spirit, which have involved them laughing or shaking or doing something kind of extreme. Um, there has been an, a sort of sense that the Holy Spirit can take someone over and control them and take their will away from them and make them do something without them even having any part in it. And that can sound really scary, the idea of going into a trance or not being part of yourself. We're not robots. The Holy Spirit is not like that. He is like a shepherd leading his sheep. He doesn't force us. He just leads us and he calls to us and he trains us to hear his voice and to understand him. Now, sheep can be pretty silly. So sometimes when we're trying to obey the Holy Spirit, we could actually find ourselves stuck up a tree a little bit. And that's okay. You know, we're learning and that's, that's fine. We'll need the shepherd's help sometimes and he'll need to get us back on the track. But he'll never pick us up and grab us and shake us and hurt us and make us do things for his will. It's a partnership. Now, being filled with the Spirit can cause people to do really interesting things. <laughs> um, it can cause people to laugh hysterically, to fall over, to speak in a language that they don't know. But he's not like an alien from Doctor Who. He doesn't actually just grab somebody and speak through them and they, their voice changes potentially because it's the voice of God and then they'll fall down and it's all very, very epic and scary. He's not like that. He's gentle. What I'd like to sort of suggest is that the Holy Spirit is like a dancer and he asks us to dance. And if you've ever danced with somebody who's really good, it actually doesn't matter if you're not really good at all. <laughs> they know the dance. They lead you in the steps. They hold you. They move you. But you have to cooperate. You can choose not to dance at any point. You can say, I don't want to do this. And you can step away and you can sit down. Except when you're in that dance, you are moving in a way that you might not actually be choosing to do. The dance is moving you. The dancer that you're dancing with is moving you. The Holy Spirit designs the steps when we work in our spiritual gifts. He leads and he moves us, but only with our permission. Your response to him is also unique. It's just like a pair of dancers. No pair of dancers is going to be the same. Your dance with the Holy Spirit is going to be completely unique. He invites us all the time, but you can say no. And there are some people that are sitting in the sidelines and the, the Holy Spirit continues to ask them to dance and they continue to say no, and he will continue to ask and ask and ask and ask for as long as he can. We may not even realize he's asking us. It's sometimes quite difficult to discern whether or not we're just following or hearing a really strange whim in our head, or whether it's actually a prompting. That takes a little bit of practice, but he's always asking us to dance. And so what I'm really asking you tonight is that as I continue to talk, to just be thinking about what ways the Holy Spirit might be asking you to dance with him. So these are not our gifts. They're from within us, but they are outpourings of the Holy Spirit in us. They are his gifts. When we talk about the shapes that these gifts can come in and the lists that sometimes people organize them into, we are actually sort of describing the gifts and talents that divine, define the Holy Spirit. It's like a profile of his abilities. It's like it's prioritizing, sorry, it's like a profile of his abilities and his priorities, his very personality. So let's have a refresher. 
Who is the Holy Spirit? Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as one who would come after he went to rejoin God in heaven. His role is to bring about the changes in us which are required to make us like Jesus. We often get this wrong. We think that when we are Christ-like enough, we will have more of the Spirit. And that actually, it's different. The Spirit will do this in us if we allow him to. The one role of the Holy Spirit is to change us. John 14, 16 to 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. In this passage, the another, the word another, means another of the same kind, not something different. The Holy Spirit is of the same kind as Jesus. He has the same goals, he has the same nature. This time, the Spirit is actually within us as well as with us. That's one of the goals of this church, um, of Dora of Hope Christian Church, is to be Jesus-centered and others-focused. How can we be Jesus-centered without the Holy Spirit? That's his job. When we say Jesus-centered, we mean Jesus-centered. The very nature, another of the same kind, the Holy Spirit is living in us. And that, and he, because he's a person, is what's going to change us into who Jesus longs for us to be, someone like him. Now, another role of the Holy Spirit is really important to realize as well. The Holy Spirit convicts non-believers of the truth. He can show them and he continues to call out to them to show them that they have sinned, that they need forgiveness. He asks them to turn to God for a new life. The Holy Spirit is an amazing person. At the same time as shaping us, he's also calling others in. Every time that we stir up the Holy Spirit and that we try and act within his gifts, that we try and give him permission to work in us, it's actually a dual purpose of building up the church and to encourage one another, but also to create a place that is calling others in. The Holy Spirit itself is attractive. Now, how many spiritual gifts are there? There are 20 mentioned in the New Testament, and sometimes they get divided into this list. Leadership, teaching, shepherding, administration, mercy, hospitality, helps, encouragement, apostleship, giving, faith, discernment, knowledge, evangelism, and wisdom. Now, sometimes these gifts are grouped into the miraculous gifts, the things like healing and miracles. And sometimes they're grouped, uh, sorry, the miraculous gifts, the enabling gifts like faith and wisdom, and the team building gifts like prophecy, mercy, and giving. Now, most scholars feel that the list of uh, that, those lists that get put forward, they're not exhaustive. So they're not everything that it can be, but it's a bit representative. That's a way of looking at them that groups the sort of things that you will find when people are operating in spiritual gifts. They have a sort of sense of fitting into those categories uh, a lot of the time. Although you do find that there is sometimes somebody with a spiritual gift that is just way out there and you don't really know where it's from because the Holy Spirit is not somebody that likes being put in a box. If you've ever read true stories of spirit-filled Christians living powerful lives like Brother Andrew or Brother Ewan, Corrie Ten Boom, Smith Wigglesworth, ETC... 
There's a lot that happens in them that in those books and in those stories that's pretty out there. In Corrie ten Boom, um, her memoir of being in Ravensbrück with her sister, which was a, a really, really terrible prisoners of war camp, um, she experiences miracles like medicine never running out, no matter how often she administers it to, uh, it to her sister who's unwell. She also hides it underneath their very, very, very sheer, flimsy cotton, I guess you could call it a dress, but it wasn't much of a dress, hiding this huge bottle under a dress and sneaking it past the guards who somehow didn't see it. Uh, <laughs> some pretty amazing things happened to Corrie that you can really understand is that they were exercising in the Holy Spirit power, using their spiritual gifts because they really needed to and some amazing things happened. So I'm not about putting the Holy Spirit into a box, but um, we do need to understand how to begin. <laughs> now humans have a special way about things that are exciting and wonderful, that sometimes when we start to talk about them more deeply, they become very boring. But the Holy Spirit is not boring. I just want to remind you that He is amazing, that everything that He does is exciting, and that the more that we work with Him, the more we start to see what He can do, and it is wonderful. So please do not let the fact that there is a list of spiritual gifts start to bore you, because it's not like that. <laughs> This is just the way that we can begin to start thinking about who we are and what we can do and what God is leading us into. Now, does anyone know what a hallmark is? Yeah? Yeah, got someone down there? Yeah? Okay. Does anyone watch Antiques Roadshow? Same person, eh? Yeah? <laughs> I love Antiques Roadshow. I'm not really sure why you get these very, very dry conversations with, oh, yes, yes, no, it's a, it's a pot. Uh, yes, it's very ugly. Yes, we put, our, we put our umbrellas in it. I don't know why we still have it. No. But we did see one on one of your programs, and it seemed to be a little bit valuable. So we thought we'd bring it in, didn't we, dear? Yes, yes, we did. And then you see <laughs> the appraisal, and they'll lift it up, and they'll turn it upside down a lot of the time if it's something that's ceramic or metal, and they'll look at the little mark on the bottom. That can be numbers, or it can be a little logo. You can see cross swords or a Greek amphora, that sort of um, mug with the handles. Not Greek, sorry, Roman. Uh, but they, uh, can, can we have a picture of the hallmark um, continue to move? There's a picture, yeah? Was there a picture? Yeah, let's keep going. Oh, it's right up there, sorry, I was picking it up there. Yeah, cool, cool beans. <laughs> so that's Fabergé. That's a Russian maker who makes a beautiful enamel things and those very fancy eggs that you, can, uh, that you often sort of see in books. They're very expensive and fancy. Um, that's an eagle. Uh, you can't see that very well, um, but the, that's the logo. Now, when Fabergé stamps an object under there, it means that their hall, their craft hall of masters have made this object. And they make a whole range of different objects. It's called a hallmark because in the Goldsmith Hall in London in the 18th century, they started calling it um, hallmarks and it caught on with all the different um, craft halls. But when they put this stamp on an object, it may be different than all the other objects that they have made, but it comes from the same place. And so... I would like you to think about spiritual gifts and those categories a bit like hallmarks, that Fabergé made a lot of different things, but they all have the stamp on there. And when you look at the list of biblically mentioned spiritual gifts, 
a single make is a bit like wisdom, for example. If your spiritual gift is wisdom, you may look, you exercising your spiritual gift may look different to everybody else that's doing it, but it has the mark of wisdom upon it. They come from a, a similar origin, the same place. So when you are looking at um, those different things that a spiritual gift can be, you can think about it in the sense that it's not going to be a clone of the person next to you, but it potentially may have the stamp of a certain thing upon it, and that might be wisdom or giving or encouragement or prophecy. It's a little bit like the colour chips at Bunnings as well. It's, you know, how many colours are there? Seven? But when you go into the wall of colour chips, you know, it's not just blue. <laughs> oh, no. There's a lot of different names for things in there. But they are developed into these categories of colours. So you are going to be different than everybody else, but you may still be blue. So how do you know which gifts that God gave you? Spiritual gifts operate out of close relationship with the Holy Spirit. A piece of metal gets hot when you sit it in the fire. The longer it sits there, the hotter it gets, and gradually it begins to soften and change shape. Now, if the metal were just to sit in a blacksmith shop talking about fire, the same thing would not happen. It doesn't matter how much you talk about something, you have to be exposed to it for the changes to happen. It's really important that if you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, you need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. It's not about just trying to get a present at Christmas time and unwrapping it and playing with it. It's actually a relationship and it's a product of a relationship. The more that you spend time doing your 20 minutes in the chair or longer, you worship, you're praying, you're listening. How often do we forget to listen? We sit down and we pray and we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk and we ask and we ask and we rock back and forwards and we cry and we stop and we leave. And I think that God sometimes says, oh, I guess I'll say it next time. <laughs> we need to listen as well, listening as well as talking. The Holy Spirit is active and he speaks to us. He speaks to us in a number of ways and all of those ways can be helpful when we're trying to decide and understand what our gifts are speaks to us through the word. Get into your Bibles. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. It will come to life the more that you open it and you just have no idea how many things God can tell you through something that you've read a hundred times. It's amazing. It is a living word. Also through the good counsel of your Christian friends. They know you. They've spent time with you and they've seen you work and sometimes they may notice something about what you do or who you are that you may not have even noticed yourself. And sometimes you may start to have a bit of an inkling about what you think that maybe God is asking you to do, and they may challenge you on it. And you know that's okay. Doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue the line that you're going with, but it does mean that you need to think about it and talk it through. And it's really important that you have people that can speak into your life that you trust that are on this journey, that may be further down the road on this journey, and they can actually help you and challenge you and guide you. And um, sometimes it's really difficult to see yourself from the outside. I'm an artist. I've been trying to do a self-portrait. And every time I painted a different picture of myself, I've actually painted over it, and I'm going to try again another time because it's just gotten a bit too frustrating. And I was thinking to myself, how is it that I don't know what I look like? 
And I'd paint myself one day and I'd get something right and everyone would say, yeah, bam, that mouth is your mouth. That's great. Don't know what's going on with the eyes. <laughs> and I'd be like, what? I just painted what was in front of me. And then the next day, I'd go back and my hair would be different. And so I'd be like, now everything's ruined. And so I'd sort of add the different hair. And before you know it, the more I'm going back to the painting again and again, my hair's growing and my nose is moving over. And it's just, it's difficult to see yourself because you're only seeing yourself in parts. Other people have this idea of being stepped back and seeing you in one piece, <laughs> operating and going about your day and doing things that you do. And, um, and if they're also listening to the Holy Spirit, they can really, really help you on that journey of discovering what your spiritual gifts are. So please don't underestimate the power of a good friend. Ah, he can speak directly to our hearts. That's something that's important to remember as well. You may think that you've heard the Holy Spirit, and maybe you have, and maybe it's saying nothing that you've ever read in the Bible, but I want you to remember that the Holy Spirit never tells you anything that is not in unity with himself. If he says something, and if you think he said something, measure it against all the other things that God said, measure it against what the Bible and who the Bible says God says, and if it's not in conflict, it could be the Holy Spirit. Test it, work with it, think about it, ask God, pray, wait, be prepared to miss the moment because the moment will extend. He's very good at teaching us and if you're listening, he will work with you. So don't hurry in and rush in and hurt people and say all kinds of silly things that you can't back up because you're starting to work with it. Be prepared to be patient but do realise he does speak to your heart and he's active and living in there. And so listen. So begin to ask what he wants to show you about your spiritual gift and be prepared to listen and act. When he prompts and when we respond, we have a chance to examine him at work and it is faith building whether or not it works or not. If we hear and if we respond and if things go the way that we were hoping that they would go, that's fantastic. We've learned that that was a good move. If we think we've heard him and then we respond and everything goes to plop and it's no good and we realise that we were actually behaving out of something very different, we have also learnt something. Be wise, but sometimes making mistakes will teach you a lot about how to hear God, just like hearing God will teach you a lot about hearing God. So don't be so scared to make a mistake as long as you're acting with love. Do everything from a position of love. Paul ends his talk in Corinthians about the gifts with a talk about love. There is a big, big important ending on what we do with our gifts. We need to respond to every prompting, to everything that we're trying to do in a position of love. We need to remember that the other person is somebody that we need to look after and care for and not trample over. We need to be prepared to work in everything that we do in a position of humility and of love. So you can sign up for SHAPE if you want to know about your spiritual gifts as well. That is a course that we offer at Door of Hope and it takes you through um, a much longer, more extensive talk about what the different gifts are, what they do, um, how they work and you can start to, to fill out a questionnaire that you might be able to find out more about what it is that is already wor at work in your life and it can really help you to pinpoint what your spiritual gifts are, and then you, can, you, can become to really, you can really work on and invest in them. By trial and error. I've talked about that a little bit already. Try it out. If you think that you have got a certain gift, find a safe space and begin to have a go.
It's that simple. As long as you're acting in love, as long as you are testing the words that you get against the Bible, if you get the green light, have a go. Okay, so I'm running out of time. I just wanted to tell you something real quick about my own story. Is that all right? Am I cool? Okay. So I got invited a little while ago to do some painting for a stall, and it was the mind-body-spirit stall um, the conference, you know, sort of fortune tellers and things like that. I got asked to join a Christian group who were going to minister to people there by praying for them and doing some stuff. And I got asked, would you do some painting in the background? And I normally, at church events and things like that, I do paintings to bless people and make, make them feel like they're in a lovely environment and give them something pretty to look at, which is fine, that's good. And so I said, sure, no worries. On the day, I got prepped and they said, oh, so it's going to be prophetic drawing. You're going to draw people pictures and uh, they're going to go away with a prophetic word. And I said, hang on, that is not what I do. I've never done that before. But I said, I'll have a go. And so I did. And this has become something that I love to do. It's awesome. Because the thing is, we pray for people a lot of the time in things that can be turned into pictures. We think in pictures, and so when we speak with our words and when we're praying for people, they can actually become these really beautiful pictures that people can have and hold on to in a way that they don't necessarily hold on to words. So I had a really great time in the beginning. They started coming to me, and they'd be standing in front of you, and I'd be getting nervous, and I'd think of a nice Bible verse, and I'd draw flowers and, and hearts and things like that all over it, and they'd leave feeling blessed, and that was great. And the word is awesome, and it's wonderful that it was going home with them. Then I started feeling like God was telling me to do something without knowing why. And that frightened me. I actually felt really nervous about it. But I said, okay, God, I'll have a go. So I said to them, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know what I'm doing. This is just something I'm trying out. I'm friends with God. I listen to the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to see what happens. If nothing happens, that's just me, and that's fine. But if something wonderful happens, that's God, and we need to praise him. And so that's how I introduced it. And then what happened was I asked the guy his name for this particular um, person, and he said his name was Nathan. And so, but, oh, no, he said his name was Ather, except he had been called Nathan. And that was interesting because the word Nathan means gift from God. So it's sort of like he changed his name away from gift of God to something else. Now, I started drawing, and I felt like God told me, or the Holy Spirit, God told me to draw a horse. And I went, I don't know why I would be drawing a horse. That's not anything that I can think of a metaphor in the Bible, but I started drawing a horse. And then I felt like it was getting to be a rather mean-looking horse, and I started to feel really worried. I'm going to give a person a picture of a mean horse for no reason. This is scary. And then I felt a prompting to draw a picture of a person in front of the horse lying down. And I'm just like, this is getting too weird. And I was sweating. I was actually so nervous. <laughs> and I'm like, God, you're going to need to help me with this because I don't know why I'm doing it. Now, all this time, Aether was talking to another Christian who was at the stall who was just helping him to pass the time while I drew. Now, I, he came back over again and I was sweating and really scared. And the Christian that had been talking to Aether said, oh, you'll never believe this. Because it turned out that they'd been having a chat out of my earshot about the fact that this man had been abandoned by his mother and that she had been somebody who chose working with horses as her career over raising her own child. And this had been a big problem for him in his life. Now, in panic, at the bottom, I'd written that God wants to free you from your shame and that he wants 
you to be his, or something like that. I can't quite remember, but I remember it was something to do with freedom and following Jesus, because I remember having the talk about what that meant. He didn't even know. I was amazed. I couldn't believe it. I felt like God had come through for me, and it had been such a little thing, but I'd been putting myself on the line, and he came through. It wasn't me. I knew it couldn't be me, and he'd come to see this kind of thing, so the guy was just like, yeah, cool, whatever, and wandered off, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> and so then I started, when I'm doing this prayer, prayer, prayer drawing for people, I ask God, what do you want me to draw? And then, when I've drawn, I ask God, what does it mean? If I don't hear anything, if I don't have an interpretation, if it all falls flat, it's okay. It doesn't mean anything. That's fine. Lots of things don't mean anything. But I've had the most amazing experiences. I've had another lady, which I drew a doorway for her with rainbows coming out of the sort of cracks and a big key. And I felt like I was to say that the key was for her, that God said that you could come in. And it turned out that she was actually dying of cancer and didn't have a very long time to live. And I couldn't believe it. It was just... It was amazing because I felt like a spectator in, in what was happening in front of me. That it was just amazing seeing God put out a blessing to a person in a really difficult time. Now, I want you to tell you, the last thing I want to leave you with is the name Aether. This Nathan guy had changed his name to Aether. And I just thought a couple of weeks ago, I should look up what that means, although I don't think it means anything. I've never heard of it being a name. I googled, and if Google is to be trusted, the name Aether is an Anglo-Saxon last name, which means one who lives in an enclosure. Wow, whether that's somebody who's put walls up or whether it's somebody who's actually trapped for some reason, I couldn't believe this idea that I had spoken or written a word that I believed was from the Holy Spirit to somebody who had renamed himself, one who lives in an enclosure that God wanted to set him free. I just couldn't believe that. It was amazing. And so I've been really, really fired up about this idea that the Holy Spirit can work through me except I need to put myself on the line. And whether or not you have got the gift of just helping out and helping with all your heart, or whether you are going to be getting up and preaching, or whether you're going to be going out on a mission and using spiritual gifts with that, with a mercy and faith, yeah, come on up, thanks guys. You're going to be part of a story that is amazing, and you're going to have these moments that are just wow, wow, wow. That's what spiritual gifts can be because they're when we move beyond ourselves. And it's not because you're special, it's because he's special. Uh, so go home, sign up for the SHAPE course, pray, talk to your friends and start learning about what God has for you with the gifts.